accused of a crime he did not commit, sentenced to a life in an Egyptian prison, and forgotten by his family. This week on the Legends Channel, The Legend of Joe Jacobson Part 2, Return of the Dreamer. Oh, another sand trap. You know, Egypt, one big bunker. <laughs> Sandwich. Uh, yeah. Now, my brothers hated it when I had my dreams because they always came true. Good ones, bad ones. Crazy thing is that God also gave me the ability to understand other people's dreams. <laughs> For... If we can uh, edit that out, right? Uh... In Pharaoh's prison, it almost became a game at breakfast time. <laughs> and people going, Joseph, inter- interpret my dream. Uh, you know, come over here, Joseph. But uh, some of the dreams were, uh, you know, they really didn't need all that much interpretation. <laughs> but two dreams in particular shaped Joseph's future. Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker had displeased him, so they received the customary life sentence. Thrown into the same prison as Joseph, they both had troubling dreams one night. (laughs) How could I forget those two? Uh, The cupbearer's dream was easy. Uh, Vines, three branches, Pharaoh's cup. (laughs) Simple, really, for a dream. He was going back into Pharaoh's service in three days. (laughs) Dream in Turp 101, really. (laughs) But the baker's dream didn't portend such good news. Yeah, his was tough. I mean, how do you tell somebody they're going to die in three days? I don't know. So, I just told him. The dreams came true, as Joseph predicted. But Joseph's one request of the cupbearer to remember him to Pharaoh and explain his innocence was forgotten. Forgotten for two long years. Joseph languished in prison until Pharaoh himself had a dream. Although every magician, philosopher, and psychologist was summoned, no one had an interpretation. The cupbearer then told Pharaoh about Joseph's amazing gift. Joseph was led into the presence of the most powerful man on the planet, a man who could command armies and decide the life or death of entire nations. And there he was. Pharaoh was sitting there with all his attendants. And I still didn't know what was going on. And everyone was staring at me. And I thought they were going to kill me. Pharaoh put the question to the Hebrew slave. If you can interpret dreams, what do my dreams mean? I could hear my heart pumping. It was the first time I'd ever seen Pharaoh. I mean, he thinks he's God. 
so now I have a choice. I could tell him that the real God, my God, is going to graciously let him know what his dreams mean. Or I could tell him what they mean and let him think I'm a God. It's the hardest choice I've ever had to make. But things worked out. Worked out they did. Tune in next week for the exciting conclusion of The Legend of Joe Jacobson. Oh yeah, that's some good stuff, right? Last week we began our series uh, about Joseph and we asked this question, what would someone in your circumstances do if they knew that God was with them? So someone who has your successes, your failures, someone who has what you have or doesn't have what you don't have, what would they do in your circumstances if they knew that God was with them? This question has so much potential to change your life. What if before you made the phone call, what if before you sent that text or email or posted something on Snapchat or Facebook, uh, what if you were to ask this question, what would someone in my situation do if God was with me? Would that change your life? Yes, it would change it for the better. This question could bring balance and integrity to all of your decisions. It has the potential to calm you down when life gets all crazy, and it should be the filter through which we view our lives. Now, today we're going to pick up the story of Joseph Jacobson in, in Genesis chapter 41. If you have your Bibles or if you have your smartphones and you have the U the version, you can go ahead and look there. Um, let me let me just kind of give you a summary. So uh, Joseph, we, last week we saw him in extreme difficulty beyond anything we would ever face. This week we're going to see things begin to go well with him. He's going to face some extreme power, power you'll never understand. He's going to get some extreme riches, riches you and I will never understand. If there were X Games back in Egypt, Joseph would have been the poster boy for the X Games. Extreme difficulty, extreme power, extreme riches. And what he does is he shows us how anyone would react in his situation and all of those extremes if they were certain that God was with him. Um, now, last week we talked about his brothers sold him into slavery. Um, they, they actually took his multicolored coat, his tunic, his very colored tunic or, or his ornate robe, and, and they dipped it in goat's blood. They took it back home. They gave it to his dad and they said to his dad, examine this and tell us if this is your son's. They didn't even say our brothers. Tell us if this is your son's tunic. He looks at it. He said, it is my son's tunic. He begins to mourn and he's not even looking for David because he assumes his sons are telling him the truth, not looking for Joseph. He assumes his sons are telling him the truth and that his son is dead. And then, um, then Joseph is sold into slavery. He goes to Egypt. He's bought by Potiphar. Uh, sometime later, he's accused of a rape. He did not commit. He's convicted of a rape. He did not commit. And all of this stuff started at 17 years of age. My Hannah is 17. I cannot imagine one of these bad things happening to Hannah. This happened over a period of 13 years to Joseph. And, and, you know, we kept reading over and over the Lord was with Joseph. And if you're, if you're paying attention, you're going, uh, cause the stuff that happened to Joseph, that's what happens when the Lord is not with you, right? Joseph was convinced God was with him and he acted as if God was with him. So today we're going to see things begin to go well with him. And we're going to, we're going to ask this question a little bit differently today. The way we're going to ask the question is what would someone with your blessings, what would that person do with your blessings if they knew that God was with them? And some of you are going, what blessings sucker? You're more blessed than 90% of the people on the planet. If you have a home to go to, 
if you have at least one vehicle, if you have food in the pantry, um, go to Haiti with us and watch people walk up and down this mountain. They, they walk. If they have a donkey, they are lucky. And, and even if they have a donkey, the donkey, this lady had this big old thing last year's big old basket. The donkey just decided it was tired, laid down in the middle of the road. The stuff in her basket went everywhere. She beat that donkey and that donkey just looked at her like some of you teenagers. Uh, anyway, you are blessed. Um, now the reason we're going to, we're asking it this way is because most people we know will pray when times are hard, right? Don't have any problem praying when things are going badly. When life isn't hard though, what happens to your prayer life? Suddenly it's not quite as intense. How do you maintain the right perspective when life is going well? See, here's the problem. Prosperity will test your faith more than poverty or sickness. I should have put difficulty just because Joe is one of the few people who, who doesn't allow prosperity to run his faith. Too many people allow that. He lives how wealthy people would live if God were with him. So we're going to pick this up in Genesis 41, 1a. Anytime you see a letter there, for those of you who don't know this, um, it just means part of a verse. So a means the first part of verse one. If you see B, it means the second part, unless there's three parts and there could be A, B, and C. But A just means the first part of verse one. Here's what it says. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Now two years since what? Two years since, since Joseph had interpreted the cupbearer's dream and the baker's dream. And, and at the end of last week, we read, the cupbearer forgot him for two years. Joe has now been in Egypt for 13 years. In that time, other than the Bible telling us the Lord was with him, there's been no relief in sight. It doesn't appear that God's with him. There's no miracles, but he is the CEO of the dungeon. Whoop-de-doo! You're in charge of the dungeon! Now, Pharaoh has a dream. He actually has two dreams, unbeknownst to, to Joseph. In the first dream, there's there's... He's... Uh, Pharaoh is standing by the Nile River and there's seven big, fat, healthy cows. I got to see my grandson this week. And my grandson is tons of fun. He's two months old and he's got several chins. He's got rolls of fat on his leg. If you stick your finger in there, it'll disappear. The boy's getting plenty of food. He's healthy and that's good. These cows were the kind that were healthy. You looked at him, oh man, that's some good steak right there. These cows are in the Nile River, cooling themselves from the heat of the Egyptian sun. The only reason they come up is to go eat. So the seven fat, healthy cows come up, they go eat. Immediately after that, in Pharaoh's dream, seven cows, the Bible says it, gaunt, ugly, skinny, nasty cows, the kind that their skin is about to fall off. It's already been cured. You could use it for leather. They come up and the seven nasty, ugly, gaunt cows eat the seven fat cows. Now, if you've ever watched any nature channel, you know that when a snake eats something, you can sometimes, you can tell exactly what that snake ate because there's the, the weird thing about Pharaoh's dream is when the seven skinny cows ate the seven fat cows, you could not tell anything was different. And that messed with Joseph, uh, with Pharaoh's mind. So he wakes up. Bible says he goes back to sleep and he has a second dream. In the second dream, there's one stalk of grain comes up. It has seven healthy heads of grain on this one stalk. Immediately after that, uh, an unhealthy stalk comes up, has seven very nasty, ugly. You wouldn't put that in your mouth. You wouldn't cook it. You wouldn't boil it and eat it. Those stalks come up and they eat the seven good stalks. Pharaoh wakes up and he is messed up in his head over this. And look what he does in verse eight. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told his dream, them his dreams, but no one could interpret them. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I love how he says this. Today, I am reminded of my shortcomings. Oops. 
Two years ago, I promised this dude, two, two years, I promised I would remember him. And so the cupbearer says, oh, almighty king, <laughs> nervous laughter. Remember two years ago when you got really mad at me and you threw me in prison? <laughs> Good times. Best thing that ever happened to me. I met this guy while I was in the slammer. I had a dream and I told him my dream and, and he said, your dream means that in three days, Pharaoh's going to restore. You're going to get your job back. And it happened just like he said, you remember the, the baker? <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have his dream because in his dream, he told Joseph and Joseph said, oh, you're going to die in three days. Pharaoh's going to hang you in three days. And sure enough, it happened. <laughs> Maybe you should check him out. Joseph has no idea what's going on to him. He is just living the same way he always lived as if God was with him. And he's marking another day in prison. Verse 14, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly, quick, uh, quick to Pharaoh, not quick 13 years to Joseph. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon when he had shaved and changed clothes. Okay. Hebrews are stanky people. They, they hang out with, with sheep. They're shepherds. They're intense. They're not real. They don't really care about the hygiene. Um, so they, in my mind, they kind of look, and I'm not saying they kind of look like the duck dynasty guys. But the Egyptians were very clean shaven. They were very um, concerned about their appearance. So Joseph had to shave his beard off, or they shaved it off, before he could come into Pharaoh's presence. So Phil Robertson would have been out of luck, man. 13 years, you know he had a good old Duck Dynasty beard, and they shaved it off, and he stands before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph is standing before the most powerful man on the planet Everything in their society, everything in our society says when you are in the presence of powerful people who can change your life, you say whatever you need to say so that it will please them. You do whatever you need to do to get their attention because this deal could make you for life. You do whatever you have to do because they can change things. My question to you today is, have you ever been in the presence of powerful and intimidating people and been tempted to make yourself look better than you really are? Have you ever said some things that, that maybe aren't really true, but, but it would impress these people so you say it? Have you ever been in the presence of powerful and intimidating people? And this could be at school, this could be at a job, wherever. And you know you should say something, but you don't say something because these people are powerful and intimidating. Every here, everybody here can tell a story of when we, we turned our back on God. When we said, God, these people aren't your people. This isn't your specialty, but it's mine. I'll see you Sunday. I got this. And we go and do things without God. But that's not Joseph. Joseph tells us, shows us not only how to act in difficulty, but how to act in the presence of powerful people who can change things. Verse 15. I cannot do it. Joseph said, sorry, big guy, but you, you shaved me and cleaned me up for nothing. I cannot do it. Joseph replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I'm sorry, I just get tickled because I think about this. I see this. Everybody in the room goes, not the G word. Do you know who this dude is? He thinks he's one of the gods. And you walk in here and you mention the God. Don't do that. You just said to Pharaoh, I know the God. He knows something your gods don't know. He's going to tell me and then I'll tell you. That's a dangerous game. And by the way, don't you know they're going, where were you? Didn't we just pull you out of prison? And where was your God while you were in prison? Oh, that's right. He was with you. He must be pretty pathetic because he's not the one that got you out of 
the dungeon Pharaoh did. Don't you say anything about you know the real God. That's a dangerous game. You do not want to play unless you're certain that God is with you. And so Pharaoh is sitting there, all his attendants are sitting there, and there's this tension in the room, and then you hear, then you hear, Travis so jumped the gum in the first service. About five minutes too early. Waiting for law and order to happen. (laughs) Pharaoh looks at him. He goes, hmm, well, here's my dream. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. He says, you're about to, your stock market is about to take off and you're going to have this incredible growth like you've never seen before. Basically, you can take any seed of any fruit, throw it anywhere. If it touches the ground, it's going to grow up. It's going to produce so much. Everybody's going to be filthy rich for seven years. But right after that, you're going to, your stock market is going to crash. And, and there's, it doesn't matter where you plant seeds. It doesn't matter what you do. Everybody is going to be very, very poor. It's going to be so bad that nobody's even going to remember the good years. People are going to die because there's no food around. Oh, and by the way, the reason God told you twice in the same night is because the wheels are already in motion. He's about to bring this about. Now, just imagine these people, the best and brightest of Egypt are standing in this room. They're thinking, this kid has some nerve. He keeps talking about the God. Do you know who you're talking to? Because the Egyptians, they just thought they were better than everybody else. We're better than Hebrews. Everybody knows that. We're more hygienic. Our houses are better. Our economy's better. Come on. Everybody knows that we're better than you. You have one God. We have tons of gods. Why should we listen to you? And Joseph doesn't even wait for any reaction. He jumps right past the interpretation of the dream and he begins to give Pharaoh advice. That's hilarious to me. I'm thinking, that's probably not a good idea. He didn't ask. You you speak to Pharaoh when he speaks to you, when you are spoken to. And I'm just thinking these people are going, "Uh what's that smell? Oh yeah, it's dungeon. And where did you, little Hebrew boy, where did, where did you get your education? I know, chasing sheep and in the dungeon. And now you're gracing us with all this knowledge that you have of the future. And you're telling us how we can solve a problem that doesn't even exist yet. Why should we listen to you? Give us an answer. And Joseph said, 15 minutes can save you 15% on camel insurance. <laughs> Because that's the best answer, right? Joe's not crazy. He didn't say anything about camel insurance. He knew God was with him and he acted like God was with him. It's what anybody would do in the presence of a wannabe God when the real God is with him. See, Joseph didn't fall for this line. This is what we fall for when we, when we act differently in the presence of powerful people. He didn't fall for the line that my future is in your hands. He was not intimidated. He's not afraid. When the big God, the real God, the uppercase G God is with you, why should you be afraid of a wannabe God? We get so scared and intimidated by the wannabe gods that we forsake the real God. You ever stood in front of somebody and go, but they could fire me. So? But they could put me in jail. So I've been there. It's not that bad for five hours. (laughs) For five hours. But they could kill me. So, what's your point? 
this, this is, the Bible calls this body a tent, a temporary residence. If you know the real God is with you and it's your time and he ushers you into the presence of, if Jesus ushers you into the presence of the real God, I'm okay with that. What can a wannabe God do to me if the real God is with me? So look at the advice he gives him. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. By the way, Pharaoh, you're not big enough to do this by yourself. You need help because I know because I've been, I've been the CEO of a dungeon and good help is hard to find. Let me tell you. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. 20% tax of everything that was, that was raised. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. My work is done. I've interpreted your dreams. I've told you how you can save the country. I've given you an economic plan that will make you filthy rich. And Pharaoh goes, I am filthy rich. And Joseph says, not as rich as if you'll listen to the real God. And everyone is sitting there waiting for the little Hebrew boy to die. But he doesn't die. In fact, Pharaoh is impressed with him. You want to know why? Pharaoh saw in Joseph the exact same thing that Potiphar saw. The same thing that the warden of the dungeon saw, the prison. The same thing the cupbearer and the baker saw. They saw a young man who through the ups and downs of life lived. And, and by this, at this point, it was all downs. He hadn't... He hadn't experienced the ups yet, but he lived as if God was with him and he acted like God was with him. My question to you today is, does anybody here want to live every day as if God is with you? Do you want to know how you can do that? Thanks, bud. I got one of you. I'll tell you four things you need to do. The first thing you've got to do, if you're going to live every day as if God is with you, you've got to answer this question. Whom shall I fear? Read through the Psalms and you'll, David says this, there's a songs we sing. Uh, Chris Tomlin wrote the song, whom shall I fear? If the God of angel armies is always by my side. And, and that, that song bothers me just a little bit because I'm by his side. You know, it's like if you're, you know, you have a big elephant and the elephant's pulling this load and you're holding on to the little rope and you're going, look at us, pull this load. No, no, no. The elephant's pulling the load. You're just there for the ride. The God of angel armies is in charge and I'm on his side, right? But whom shall I fear? You decide that ahead of time and it'll change your actions. Who in the world is so powerful they can make you leave your Christianity at the door? I don't care if you're going to school. I don't care if you're, you have a job. Don't you dare tell me that you're ever going to stand in front of a man or woman who's more powerful than Pharaoh. Who just with this symbol could literally have his head cut off right there in front of him. You decide whom shall I fear? Joseph feared the real God. And so look what happens. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh. Why? Because God was with Joseph. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. Why? Because God was with Joseph. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man in whom is the spirit of God? To whom is Pharaoh asking the question? All of the guys who've been kissing up to him for years, hoping and praying that they can become the prime minister of Egypt. He asked the question. And so the advisors of Pharaoh do what the, the advisors to Pharaoh always did. They looked at each other and go, I think, I think he wants us to say no. No, you can't find anyone like him. Verse 37, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. 
Pharaoh says, Joe, I've known you for about 10 minutes now, and it's so obvious that God is with you that I think you need to be in charge. Would you like to be in charge, Joseph? And what he does is he immediately takes off his signet ring, which you had to seal any orders from Pharaoh, any letters. He gave him his signet ring. He gives him royal robes that, that, that point out that he's in charge. Hmm. Didn't somebody give him some royal robes long ago to show that he was the favored one? Gave him a gold necklace around his neck, put him in the chariot. And he said, I'm going to put you in the second chariot. I'll be in the first chariot because I'm Pharaoh and I'm a, I'm want to be God, but I'm going to put you second. And then the Bible says they drove him around in that chariot, commanding everyone to bow to him. Hmm. Didn't he have a dream years ago that people would bow to him? We're going to see his brothers bow later, but the whole Egyptian nation is bowing before Joseph because God was with him. And my question is, could this really happen today? Yes. If men and women teenagers, even boys and girls will look at the opportunities they have before them. And they'll say, how would somebody with this opportunity act if they believed that God was with them? So this is all in scripture. What did David do with Goliath? David did what any young man who worshiped the living real God would do when Goliath was taunting the Israel, the Israelite army. David says, you have, you have defied the living God and today he will help me defeat you. Daniel, when he was in Babylon, he was before another king, Nebuchadnezzar. And they made a law that said, you cannot pray to any God except Nebuchadnezzar. What does Daniel do? What any young man would do who fears the living God. He bowed down and he prayed to the living God. They threw him in the lion's den. Didn't matter because God was with him. You have no idea what God will do in and through you if you live out this question. If you live as if God is with you every day, some of you this year, you would go to Haiti because if God is with you, why keep putting it off? You've been called to go years ago. I I can't tell you how many people say, I believe God wants me to go and I'll go someday. You're probably going to die before you go. If you keep putting it off, if God is with you, he's going to provide Some of you are going to start working in a ministry here at the church because you can't sit on the sidelines anymore if God's with you. Some of you are going to start new ministries. Some of you are going to start giving a percentage of your income to the church because if God's kingdom is eternal, you realize you can't spend everything on yourself. You need to be investing in eternity. Some of you are going to start preaching. Some of you are going to go start a church either here in the United States or you're going to start a church somewhere where they don't have the light of Christ. Some of you are going to start letting your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and they glorify your father in heaven. And everybody's going to say, God is with them. If you believe this. Now look at verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. Do you know what Joseph did through the seven years of famine as everyone's bowing down to him? Pharaoh even said, there will not be anything done. He said, there will be no hands raised in the kingdom without first asking you, Joseph. You know what Joseph did for the seven years of plenty, of abundance? What anyone would do in years of abundance if they believed God was with them. You know what Joseph did? You, you, got, you know where, where we're headed. What did Joseph do during the seven years of incredible famine? what anybody would do in years of famine if they believed that God was with them. Joseph passed the test, not only of difficulty, today we see him passing the test of prosperity. And very few people pass the the, the prosperity test. If, if If you're not passing this test, if you're failing this test, you're in good company because very few people pass it. 
Lots of people come to Christ in prison or in jail. Every time, I'm just telling you, every time I go to the county jail and I visit somebody, they bring their Bible with them and they're telling me. In fact, almost everybody, I, I did this in juvenile. I did this when I would, when I go to the, the county jail, people would say, Hey, would you bring your sermons and let's talk about them? So I bring my sermons and we're having these great talks and man, God is good. I found God in prison. Very few people find God in the, in the boardroom of a fortune 500 company. Because people fail the test of prosperity all the time. Pain and suffering, they bring us to our faces before God. But when we, we get a little bit of prosperity, we don't stay on our face before God. If you want to live every day as if God is with you, you got to decide, whom am I going to fear? Want to be God's or the real God? Second, you have to declare your dependence publicly. When Joseph was in front of powerful people, the chance of a lifetime. He says, I can't do it, but God can. He says, God's in charge. I'm just his servant. He pointed to God publicly in the most hostile environment possible. He pointed to God. I, uh, I've read a little bit about Billy Graham. And one of the things that, that I admire about Billy Graham, not just the crusades, he's probably led more people to Christ in these stadium crusades than anybody uh, in the history of the world. But one of the things that I'm impressed with about Billy Graham is he's called the pastor to presidents. Every president from World War II now, I don't know. I think he's in too bad a health right now to go visit uh, President Trump. But every president from World War II, 12 consecutive presidents, knew Billy Graham, talked to Billy Graham, counseled with Billy Graham. He prayed with them. He was the pastor to presidents. Um, I think it was LBJ. I, I, I couldn't find the book where this was in, but I know it was one of the presidents. I think it was LBJ. LBJ one time calls um, Billy Graham and says, uh, calls his office and says, I need to talk to Billy. And, and Billy Graham's assistant said, I'm sorry, Billy is busy. May he call you back? And so, you know, he hangs up the phone. Uh, after a while, Billy calls him back. And, and LBJ, you know, kind of a gruff individual, he said, I am not used to having to wait for people to answer my call. Billy said, he said, I'm sorry, Mr. President, I was spending time with the Lord. And I knew that I needed to spend time with God if I was going to be of any benefit to you. Wow. Dwight uh, Eisenhower said this about him. He said, um... Billy Graham is one of the best ambassadors of our country, but Billy has told me I'm an ambassador of heaven. Didn't get caught up in the things of this world. His, his son, Franklin, said that Billy's favorite meal is grilled hot dogs and baked beans. And then Franklin said, my dad is a simple man, but he always publicly points towards God. George Bush was made fun of this, but they were at, he was asked what he does every day. When he was in the office, in the Oval Office, he said, I take out a devotional and I read my daily devotional. They were asked how, he was asked how he makes decisions and he said, I pray to the God of heaven that he'll grant me wisdom. People made fun of him for that. You see, there's one thing God will not share with you. God will never give you one thing. You want to know what it is? His glory. And so if you want God to work through you, when something starts to happen, you can't say, I did this. No, you have to publicly acknowledge that God did it. You say that my, any wisdom I have comes from God. Any talent I have comes from God. Any, any finances, any, any blessings I have comes from God and belongs to God. And then watch what God will do through you. I, I read about this week, a, a very wealthy man. I mean, millions and millions of dollars, uh, probably close to a billionaire. But anyway, this guy was about to close a real estate deal. And in this real estate deal, he has, he has lawyers. He's got CEOs of a couple of companies. He's got real estate agents to the stars. They're all in this meeting room and they're about to sign the contracts. And this really, really rich Christian goes, Hey guys, um, before we sign anything, could I just lead us in prayer? 
And they said it was real awkward in there. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Let's pray. And so this rich Christian leads them in prayer. Right there before they sign anything and he acknowledged God. Now, if the thought of acknowledging God makes you uncomfortable, your faith is in serious trouble. Let me tell you how I know that. Because if, if you... If you find out this week that you have stage four cancer and you're going to die, you're going to start praying. You're going to ask your friends to pray. You're going to get on Facebook, ask strangers to pray. Everybody you find, you don't care if they see you praying. You definitely want them to pray. If somebody's in a car wreck today and they're life lighted to Dallas, you're going to be praying. You're going to ask friends. You're going to ask strangers. Please pray. If you're broke, you're going to pray. If you go to prison, you're going to pray. So if... When things are going well with you, you are uncomfortable acknowledging God. You're failing the test of prosperity. And and God can always take you back to poverty and start the training again. Right? I... I want to challenge you to be one of the people who breaks the silence. Every once in a while, we need to break the silence about God. Not in a showy Pharisee way that I'm great. Look at me. I follow the living God because that turns people off. I don't like that. I want to vomit on you if you act like that. But just in some way, acknowledge God because we're told in Proverbs, in all your ways, acknowledge God. Third thing you got to do if you want to live like God is with you is use what you have for others. Never once in his life did Joseph use what he had for himself. He always used it for others. And, and if you have a savings account, I don't care if you got a hundred bucks to open your savings account, you have more money than 99% of the people in other countries. If you have a savings account, once, once a year, you need to start asking, what can I do? What can we do to use more of what we have for others? You see, if you're going to live like God is with you every day, you have to realize God didn't bless me because of me. And God didn't bless me for me. Stick that up there if you would, bud. God didn't bless me because I'm a great person. God didn't bless me so that I can use it on myself. God always blesses you for someone else. See, the money God has given you, it's a test of where your heart is. The talent God has given you, it's a test to see if you're going to use it on yourself or you're going to help someone else. The time you have, it's a test from God. How you use it tells people who you follow. Because here's what I know. When, when you had a broken down car and maybe a CD player, you were singing, all to Jesus I surrender. Now that you got stuff, it's like, it's like, like on Finding Dory, the little seagulls, mine, 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 mine. You can't have it, God. I worked too hard for this. God can take it away. Even the next breath you have is a gift from God. It can be taken away. The last thing, if you want to live like God is with you all the time, you have to remember where you came from and where you are. I'm going to show you this from the scripture, uh, how Joseph did it. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar. So um, Potiphar, uh, Pharaoh gave Joseph an, an Egyptian name. He gave him an Egyptian wife. And look how... Joseph does this in the middle of Egypt when he, when they're trying to assemble him, all of this stuff. Priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. This is a great Hebrew word. It means forget. 
Why did he name him forget? It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. God has blessed me so much that the 13 years in slavery and in prison seems like nothing because I have so much. God has made me forget because God is a good God. Second son, he named him Ephraim. Ephraim is a Hebrew term, which means fruitful. Why? It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So every time he says Manasseh, he's saying, forget because my blessings are so great. Every time he calls his son Ephraim, he's reminded that God is good and has blessed him beyond anything he, he deserved. We named our kids, Caleb, Rachel, and Hannah, all biblical names. Caleb is my favorite Old Testament character because he was a man at 85 years old. Caleb says, I'm still fit as fit now as I was back then. And God told me 40 years ago that he'd give me that hill. So I'm going to go take that hill. And it's my prayer that my son will one day live up to that name. I see God working. He was here this weekend, heard some things that, that I'd never heard from him. Or at least in a long time, some God's working in that young man's life. And I believe he's going to live up to that name. Rachel, Jacob and, and, and Rachel. Oh, that's a great story. Hannah, the name Hannah. Hannah was, was barren. She prayed that God would give her a child. And she said, God, if you give me a child, I'll dedicate that child. Every time we say our children's names, we remember where we came from. I think I skipped that, didn't I? Remember where you came from, where you are. No, I did We're reminded every Christmas, I've told you this, we have stockings. Janie has made all of our stockings and we, we don't talk about the, the, the big fluffy man, uh, in red. Every one of our stockings is a Christmas story that Janie handmade. So like mine is, is Moses before the burning bush. And, and I can't even off the top of my head, remember all of them. One of them is Jesus on the cross. One of them is the tomb is empty. And she just this year, because, uh, Waylon was born. Our grandson was born on her birthday, (laughs) December 7th. She made, she made Wayland's stalking and we hung it up. He doesn't know about it. He'll know about it next year. And it's Jonah and the whale. And she made the whale and she put a little flap on the whale and she's got a little Jonah and Jonah's supposed to go to Nineveh and Nineveh's over here, but he runs away and the whale swallows him. And we're going to tell this next Christmas, we're going to tell Wayland about this and you can put him in there and put the flap down. Oh, the, the big fish, he swallowed Jonah and then he vomited him. And I'm, you better believe I'm doing all of it. I will do all of the, the, well, yeah, I might even vomit um, just to get the point across. And you spit him up on the, on the dry ground and we're going to tell Waylon over and over that we prayed for you and that you're a gift from God. He's not an illegitimate child. Came from an illegitimate relationship. But he's a creation of God. And we're praying that he'll come into the that he'll become a Christ follower very soon at a young age and that he will turn his parents' hearts back to God. I don't think they'll ever listen to this sermon, but you in your life, you need visible physical symbols to remind you of where you came from, where you are, and be reminded that God is going to go with you to the future. Where are the reminders in your world? And what would someone in your situation do right now with the blessings you have if they were convinced that God was with them? Let's pray together. Father, I don't don't believe there's any such thing as an accident and so I don't believe that anybody is here accidentally today to hear this message. 
I believe in your sovereignty. You brought some people here who needed to be encouraged, who needed to be challenged so that you might get the glory. Change the path that we're on, God. Show us, show us which path to go on and then give us this burning in our hearts like Jeremiah when he tried not to speak about you. He said the, the words burned in his bones. I pray that you fan into flame the gift of God that is in these people who are your children so that it becomes a raging fire and people know that God is with them. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.